Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. It is the Thursday edition of the Morning Wake-Up Call, the last edition of the Thursday Morning Wake-Up Call for the semester. We're talking Long Island life, national news, and international issues. Today, we're going to talk about the World Cup final coming up in a couple of days, a set of non-uplets that have been born, and also many health stories that are coming across the United States. But until then, we will see you then. Hello again, everybody, and it is the morning wake-up call. And again, as I said, it is the last one of the semester. Of course, always got to come to a close at some point. So how's everybody feeling about that last end we got? Um, Listen, as everybody in the studio knows, I'm a crybaby. So hopefully, hopefully, the tear ducts are going to be in control and intact by the time we leave. But we have a two-hour show, so a whole lot of time to get myself in line and together. I mean, it's the last show, but we're making, we're gonna make it a good show. Absolutely, we're gonna have a good time. You know, let's, we need to we need to go out, go out with some fire. You know, if we're gonna go out, let's make it let's make it a good one. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited. I had a big like I was getting ready to like get you guys ready to run through a wall, but you know we have two hours, so we're gonna keep the energy flowing. But I just for today's show with what we have going on later, like I'm just saying, if you're a listener right now, you're so lucky. You're so lucky mm-hmm. because this cruise brought it all semester. And why are we not going to end going out in a bag? So just be ready. It's going to be a good Thursday? One. More like Thursday. Oh, mm. I didn't know it. Oh, I remember back in the summer orientation <laughs> days, all of the, the uh, OL slaying we did. Mm-hmm, the, uh, mm-hmm. oh, it, was, it was a lot. Of, <laughs> it was a good time. Brings back the good old days that we have. Speaking of good old days, we now have some news stories with Dallas's Dish. So Dallas, go on ahead. What do we got today? Welcome to the final edition of Dallas's Dish this semester. We have some hard-hitting news coming at you. So a new bipartisan Senate investigation has found evidence of widespread abuse as federal prison staff have apparently systemically abused female inmates without criminal discipline or consequences. The Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations uncovered incidents inside at least two-thirds of federal facilities that housed women in the past decade and have also identified flaws in how allegations are investigated and punished by the Justice Department via NPR. In more literary news, George Orwell's dystopian 1984 novel that details stories of repression and totalitarianism has topped the bestseller list in Russia. According to a CNN report, the novel is the most popular fiction download of 2022 on the Russian online bookseller platform LitRes and is the second most download popular download in any category, the state news agency TASS reported on Tuesday. 
In other European news, Ukraine says it has shot down 13 Russian drones before dawn on Tuesday. And in more national news, Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, has banned the social media platform TikTok from being on devices owned by the state government executive branch. This executive order also bans TikTok from being downloaded on government-issued equipment or being used while connected to the state's network. And those are your top headlines today. Yeah, I know TikTok has definitely had a, a lot of those uh, instances with just governors banning it on the state level. I know there's been concern over uh, Chinese uh, interference within that app, interesting enough, because I have my mass media class. We talked about how technically it is based off a Chinese app. I think it's called Daoying. I always forget the name, but... Uh, that was the initial starting point for it as well. So definitely interesting to see how that's uh, going along for now. So, but anyways, Ronnie, I know we got the weather, and, you know, it, it's always cold. I understand when the winter comes, but do we have any semblance of maybe maybe some warmth coming up? What do we got? All right, I'm going I'm to I'm break it down this way for you, Luke. You know, okay, as of right now, it's 33 degrees outside of the WRHU studios here at Hofstra. And up in the sky, it's it's a little cloudy and overcast today. And the rest of the day will unfortunately stay pretty cloudy and overcast. But unfortunately, there's going to be some rain. There's going to be some rain rolling in around 4 o'clock. And it's expected to continue throughout the day. But luckily for us, although it's 30 degrees right now, we're going to get a high of 42 during the day sometime later in the afternoon but we're going to drop back down to 31 in the evening so please try your best to stay dry today stay warm because it's it's not going to be pretty yeah i definitely need to go and stay dry especially i know when that snow came the other day i was kind of shocked it was two in the morning of course it just starts snowing dallas you are you're not looking like Listen, one day i am a snow fan for purely aesthetic reasons I'm on i like when the snow is on the ground it's light and it's powdery i don't have to worry about it i don't have to shovel anything that's when it's at its peak for me. Uh, when it's actively falling and I have to walk through it, or when it's so much snow that I need to shovel out my family's driveway. That's when we got a problem. That's mm. when we have problems. Yeah, my the family. upstate lake snow effect. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Could not be me. Massachusetts does have a history of a lot of snow in recent years. It's been, you know, petering downwards. But I remember really bad winters when it was like four feet, and that was awful. Mm. Mm. No, See, thanks. uh, Shout out Undala Jasa. I know she had her article on us. Shout the, out, shout out Hofstra alum. Yeah, she what, was it snowflakes, right? Mm-hmm. It was a whole digitization of that, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Got I think over a hundred thousand uh, mm-hmm. likes on Instagram. That was pretty huge. Yeah. So she's a big, big weather reporter at the Post now. I believe the Washington Post. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good for her. So definitely, definitely check that out if you can. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. fun to see. But we are going to head off to the first story of the day. Of course, if anybody knows, yesterday we had our second World Cup semifinal uh, against Morocco and France. Uh, and yes, the stage is finally set, everybody. We got Argentina v. France, two powerhouses. How did we get here from yesterday? Uh, so granted, it was definitely a surprising run in the World Cup for Morocco. You definitely did not expect that. Uh, for anything over there. Uh, granted, I thought Germany was going to get in, and lo and behold, they'd lose in the group stage, which is crazy to see. Uh, but granted, yesterday, France did uh, come up 2-0 against Morocco over there. Uh, of course, granted, first time uh, Morocco actually got really deep, or really any nation from either uh, outside Europe or South America, since the United States in the Second World Cup in 1930. Oh, sorry. First, I should say, in 1930. Uh, and then South Korea in 2002. It's definitely interesting to see uh, for that as well. But, of course, 
France isn't any stranger to the final because, heck, they won 2018 against Croatia and Russia. So that was a big deal for them. Uh, but granted, Olivia Giroud actually passed Thierry Henry of uh, this uh, World Cup uh, for the most go goals in France. But, of course, Kylian Mbappe, he's probably going to cross uh, that line at some point in time uh, over his young career as well. But granted, he's on track for the golden boot. He has five goals, but... Who also has five goals? The man he has to play against on the 18th. And that is Lionel Messi. La Pulga, of course, the flea. Uh, he's got five goals, three assists. Mbappe has five goals and two assists. Uh, if need be. Granted, Messi's 35. <laughs> you know, granted, we saw Cristiano Ronaldo in tatters when he had to leave the pitch uh, after his playoff uh, days and dreams, you could say, of the World Cup trophy were over. Uh, so, do we think... It's going to be France or Argentina. What do we have? From personal uh, experience, I am rooting for France. I'm a big fan of France, and Kylian Mbappe is one of my favorite, favorite international soccer players. I do agree that him and uh, Messi are neck and neck for the Golden Boot. Probably would go to Messi because of the age factor and just renowned as one of the greatest soccer players to ever exist in the history of life. Um, Mbappe is also only like 23, I think, so he's really young and he has time but I will be rooting for France in the final stages. But shout out to Morocco and all of the countries that have are on the smaller end who have made really good runs, like shout out Croatia for what they ha were able to do. Yeah. I, I just want to point out he is one year older than me and that he's already doing all of this stuff. I'm like, what am I going to be doing at 23? Not playing in a World Cup final. That's how <laughs> I feel sometimes like, like professional athletes. Like I follow hockey and you're able to be drafted out of high school, so they're like, 19 18 year olds like signing major league contracts and i'm like what was i doing literally stressing about college but good for y'all yeah you know i'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm gonna put it like this i'm, I'm gonna try to I'm, uh, I'm not i'm not gonna say who i'm going for because i do not have the greatest track record with this world cup specifically what okay. why not wait what? it's been rough for ryan it's, it's been let's, rough let's, it's been a let's rough backtrack time. why is right? it been rough i of course, supporting the U.S., loving it a lot. You know, big a lot of patriotism going on for these games. They get, you know, they they get eliminated. So you know, you retire the stars and stripes, and I was booking a flight to Japan immediately. I was on oh, board. I was rooting for I was Japan on as board. well. They get eliminated two days later. Now I'm like, okay, next underdog, my guys, Morocco shocks the world with the with the win over Spain. I, Jason, we were there. We saw it. We saw it. You know, in the office, having a great time. Like, all right, Morocco. Let's go. You know, we're, we're on there. We're on board. They get eliminated. So I'm not going to say who I'm going for because it seems that uh, it, it seems that they don't they don't usually suffer the, the best fate. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Sunday is going to be so it's going to be quite the day. Also, as a fun fact, for the first time in World Cup history, three Asian teams reached the knockout stage. So like nice. it was I really enjoy an underdog story. I also enjoy when different parts of the world get to showcase their cultures in a way that they traditionally don't as we talked about it's usually like european countries or south american countries but to see like you know countries in asia morocco the first african nation to be able to do so you know all that meant for the people of not only morocco but africa as a whole mm -hmm. got to come together for that it was a really beautiful thing to see so shout out shout out them and not only just that, just the benefits that come from seeing people, you know, on the world stage and say, hey, maybe I can do that <laughs> playing soccer. You could definitely see that with Serena Williams in tennis for mm -hmm, the United States. Mm -hmm. Always the same aspect as well, just giving some people some opportunities as well. But Jason, go ahead. I was going to say, I, you know, I, I, I don't like to say that sports are scripted, but there are so many moments where you're sitting there and you're like, a Hollywood studio really wasn't behind this. And I just see right now, 
Messi is going to be getting a lot of calls. I'm sure anyone breathes near him. There's going to be cards flying everywhere. So I just view that with the impact he's had on the game, FIFA is going to try everything they can to get him that 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 final win. I mean, for him to walk off with the trophy. It, I, I just think that I'm seeing the script here, and unless maybe like a Game of Thrones writer were to be <laughs> in charge of this game, I, I, I just think it's too good of a story for Argentina not to win. I do agree. I think sometimes it feels like sports turn into the setup for their own future film to be made. Like the future 30 for 30 documentary about this mm. would go crazy. Yeah. I do think like the best movie that could have come out of this World Cup would have been the story of Morocco winning it all. Yeah. You know, oh, the yeah. first 100%. African nation to do so. I think, I know I would cry like a little baby if Morocco won and there was a 30 for 30 documentary made about it. You think of Miracle for the United States, Miracle of Morocco. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, you do something for that. But granted, I, I just look back and thinking Argentina, they play the first game against Saudi Arabia. Argentina are, you know, heavy favorites not only to win that game, but just win it all. And then they lose 2-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big one. That I, was I wrote them one. off there. I was like, oh, they're done. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Di Maria, old, messy, old. They're all old now. But, but I, I said it. I said I said right after that, I'm like, listen, they're either getting eliminated their next game or they're making one of the greatest runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And You're here right. we are. Here we are. I, I watched the Al Jazeera clip after that game mm-hmm. happened, and <laughs> there were these two fans who were up there. And then he's like, oh, yo, Saudi Arabia, they did great. He's like, Argentina, bye-bye. Messi, (laughs) ciao, ciao. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. People just love football. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but they will do anything for that. The sport is passionate. I'll tell you that much. The sport is passionate. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's so much different, though, because on the international stage, there's all of this just, I don't know, there's buildup for everything. Mm -hmm. But you look at stuff with the United States, it's like, oh, okay, we we don't really have a cricket team. And cricket is huge around the world. Cricket is huge. I've tried to, like, follow cricket or at least, like, watch it. And the rules, baseline, the rules, I can't understand. It's tough to follow. I've spent some time trying to figure them out. And when you do, that sport is electric. Really? It is great. I do love seeing the energy. I was watching, like, an old, like, clip from, I think it was India versus Great Britain or something like that. Mm, And just... The way that cricket culturally is very important to countries over there, especially like in India, I was like, look at them. Like, look at them get up and get hype. I was very, I was very excited. Oh, yeah, definitely. And okay, we're talking a lot about, you know, the world stage. World Baseball Classic is coming up. Oh, World Baseball right. Classic. Big is baseball up. guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. U.S. Britain, right? Isn't U.S. It? Great Britain, March 11th. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a big one. You will not be seeing me. I'll be sitting down watching this game. Decked out in the stars and stripes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, we played you. We played you in soccer. Now it's time for you to play us in baseball. Oh mm-hmm. gosh, we'll see. We'll see how that one Got, goes. Gotta win that one. Gotta oh, win absolutely, that one. it's a must win. <laughs> a must win. Now I know we talked about Morocco a little bit, and Ronnie, it's partially about Morocco in this case for this <laughs> next story. What do we have? I was like, yeah. Uh, so, oh, we, sorry, is it Jason? You're, you're all good. I knocked the, the label off there. Like, that was my bad. But so, my bad. We, Go ahead, Jason. We had world record. Now, I had to figure out how to say the word non uplets from Mali. Um, I'm sorry, that came home to Mali from Morocco. You know, we're just talking about it. So, the world's only non uplets, nine babies born at the same time, have returned safely home to Mali after spending 19 months of their lives in Morocco. The babies broke the Guinness World Record for most children delivered in a single birth to survive. Ahead of their birth in May 2021, their mother, their mother Halima Sisi, now 27, was flown to Morocco for specialist care. Before returning, they'd be living with special medical support in Casablanca. The babies, five girls and four boys, were born by C-section at 30 weeks. According to the Malian authorities, they weighed between 
500 grams and one kilogram, which is 1.1 pounds and 2.2 pounds. So they came out there pretty tiny. There were risks that they could have developed health problems due to how premature their birth was, and they spent their first months of their lives in the hospital. They were then moved to an apartment where they received around-the-clock care from their clinic. Earlier this year, on their first birthday, their father said each one has a very distinct and unique personality. That's incredible. And I'm just thinking about this. How many diapers have to be changed? Oh, man. Listen. Oh, man. First of all, the concept of giving birth is insane that the human body can do that. Kudos to all the, you know, people who are capable of giving birth and go through that process. Kudos to all of you. Mm. Nine human beings coming out of your body is insane. And I just can't imagine, like, going through that process. Like, um, the human body is a fantastic thing, and it can do amazing things. But sometimes I'm like, there should be a limit. (laughs) Because stories of, like, people giving birth to, like, triplets already sounds like too much to me. Times that by three. Whoa, whoa, Wait, not to come at triplets. I'm sorry, Luke. I'm sorry, Luke. Luke is a triplet, but I didn't mean to, like, attack triplets. Shame on my mother. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that there should, like... I couldn't imagine being put in that situation and then going to a doctor and then the doctor being like, yeah, there aren't going to be nine of them. How do you, that changes the entire setup of your life forever. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, w- one baby changes the setup of your life entirely. Now, you got, you got nine, you know, <laughs> you got nine you got at nine. once, <laughs> nine at once. Yeah. That, that. And then what I think is really cool, because this is a little more personal for me. They were preemies, and you know yeah. I was a preemie. I was born mm-hmm. at I believe twenty eight weeks, and I was three wow. pounds. So I was a very a very small baby. But it looks like these guys got me beat, and I'm just happy to see them. You know, I'll, they're all they're all, you know all kicking. And well, they said I was going to be pretty small, but here I am. That's supposed to be uh, November. I was born in July, and I was I think a pound and a half. Oh wow! So yeah, well. Well, they're, they're all seem to be doing their thing. I'm happy to see that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, so when she's getting the ultrasound, and let's say that, like, multiple babies kick, like, four babies kick, like, that has to feel like an earthquake going on Literally. or something. I mean, that is just incredible. And I, I think, again, you know, with how early they had to come out and the fact that it was that many, like, I can't imagine being the staff that hospital. It's like, okay, here's one, here's two, seven, eight, nine. I mean, like, that is a full-on, that, that, that probably took a day to get mm-hmm. all of them out and uh, again for them to pull it off the fact that all of them right as of right now are healthy really incredible you know and you have to give the the staff their credit but again it's just like stuff like this the, the human body just so incredible and, and and just again how did that even happen where when when they were created that nine you know mm-hmm. like like what happened at a cellular level for something <laughs> again never has happened before a nine way tie unheard of well i'm looking i'm looking at the photos and they do have a like blue and pink bibs on so if i had to say it's probably what four girls and about four or five boys so yeah i believe it's five boys five girls and four boys okay okay i just know that they could get their own kickball league started oh yeah i think Uh, the baseball team the chemistry with this team is unmatched electric (laughs) but i think it's cool to see that the human body can go about these things and i wish the best to the family on their journey, and I wish them nothing but happiness and health. Absolutely. Yeah, they're probably going to make a reality TV show out of this now. I mean, oh, don't even gonna... get me started on reality television. You shows guys remember about, like, K plus eight? Yeah, plus eight. Oh my gosh. Uh, what is it? Um, isn't that like the Demarcos now or something on TLC? Isn't that a probably doubling down with the? Oh huh. my gosh, it's escaping me. They have all these new shows. Now. Mm-hmm. I do think there are a lot of, especially like in the early 2010s, there were a lot of shows about families with huge amounts of children. 
again. Right. It used to be 19 kids and counting. 19 think, kids and counting. Yeah. Like, if you can afford that, go crazy. Go crazy. Mm, doubling down with the Derricos. Derricos, that's it, yes. Mm-hmm. Said uh, Karen and Dion Derrico uh, are parents to four sets of multiples, 14 kids, including quintuplets. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I'm going to have to pump the brakes on that one. That's <laughs> a little crazy. 14 kids. My, my mom told me this story. She actually had, like, the TV executives, like, come up to her and be like, yeah, you want it? Like, yeah, a whole thing. And she was like, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, no uh, thanks. Imagine we would have been on TV with Luke. I, I, would, I think I ended up for the better on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that uh, that definitely would work. It's got to be hard. You can see know? with the flip phone, though. You know, that would be Go ahead. It's got to be hard to, like, A, raise that many kids. Hmm. B, be present in all those kids' lives. And then C, do it all in front of a camera. That's got a lot to be. That's a lot to juggle. You know, a lot of logistical Seems like a logistical nightmare, but if people can get it together and work it out, then good for them. But then how much is real and how much isn't? You know? That's yeah. true. Like, you know, when the cameras are rolling, when the cameras aren't. I mean, you saw it with the the Duggars in uh, 19. It was, yeah, that was a whole mm-hmm. thing. But, gosh. Well, you know what? Nine kids, they're going to they're gonna do great. I feel like they're living their happy lives over there. This, this one over here is, like, chugging down this bottle. So, you know what? <laughs> they're having a good time. Grand old time. So I now Ronnie now, now we can here get we to are. your story. Okay, so nineteen well nineteen nine kids is quite a few kids, but you know what else has quite a few players? World of Warcraft. Now ever since its initial release in November of two thousand four, World of Warcraft has obviously been obviously been a staple in the MMO gaming community. The game has amassed a total player base daily, may I add, of seven hundred thousand to one point six million players in twenty twenty two alone, and a number of those players hail from China. But unfortunately, there is some bad news for Chinese players. Players are being told to back up their playing history as the relationship between the game's distributor in China and Blizzard Entertainment comes to an end. A letter to users on Tuesday said that the company is working hard on a feature that will allow players to save their game, Characters in Progress, according to John Height, the general manager of Blizzard's Warcraft franchise. Blizzard, a unit of Activision Blizzard, which we spoke about, I believe, last week about Activision trying to, and trying to make some more moves, had a long partnership with Chinese gaming powerhouse NetEase. However, last month, the company made it clear that they will not be renewing their license agreement, which is set to expire in January, so they only have about to the end of this month to get all their ducks in a row. A deal that has facilitated the release of multiple additional Blizzard titles, including Hearthstone and Diablo 3. Both sides said in a separate statement that they were unable to reach a new agreement and did not disclose further details. Activision Blizzard, who is now looking for a new distributor, has made it clear that the to both um, that both them and NetEase are working on a transition plan and assure players that their data will be saved. So it's not looking good for Chinese players. I just hope that they do not lose all their progress because Ugh. that is quite a bit of time. Game came out in two thousand four. A lot of rage wow. quitting at that point. I think. Oh, and it's over. I will never touch another video game in my life. Mm. It's hard when you put that much like miles mileage and energy and effort to those games and then all of it's at risk like i'm not a big video game person um i do my best when it comes to mario kart and super smash but to know that there are people who have dedicated so much time to these games and that all is at jeopardy and at risk is crazy yeah like i mean i get angry if i lose progress after a couple hours of playing but these this is literally years for some people this is you know they've been playing this game all their life it's not necessarily you know they're sitting down for 13 hours a day playing this game all at once but you've played it for you know however many years it's a commitment you you've put a lot of time into it and you've practically grown up with that and now that you're you you know you might lose it 
due to an agreement that is completely out of your control mm -hmm. is a little scary. But by the looks of it, it seems that they're working on something that it looks like they are, their progress will be okay. I'm going to look into it and see if they've come up with any you know, further updates on who might be getting the agreement, but there's nothing as of yet. Mm -hmm. It also feels like a technical or like logistical nightmare for a game for a game itself just to know that you individually are relying on an outside source to ensure that the data of your game is safe it feels as though there's some um loopholes in their own like system yeah they didn't say they didn't give any more details as to why the agreement is ending they just well both sides just said well you know that's all she wrote there wouldn't be a further agreement but NetEase has apparently according to the cnn business article has told fans that their data will be quote sealed after the servers for the game shut down in January. I feel like it's just an, an issue of that Blizzard-Microsoft uh, partnership that will go through there. Of course, we still don't know because the FTC is currently going to go and uh, challenge that, uh, I guess, antitrust uh, aspect, if you will. But granted, I know at least for the video game population out there in China, it, like you said, Ronnie, it's such a livelihood to have yeah. over there. Oh, yeah. Especially when they've actually been curtailing hours now of people who've been playing video games over there to only certain amounts of hours in a day, how many you can do over there, just because of the amount of time people have been doing that and not being, I guess, productive, you could say, in their working environment. Mm -hmm. You bring that up, and it reminded me of, uh, you, you know, saying curtailing hours. There's a lawsuit uh, over for Fortnite going on right now, called a Fortnite addiction lawsuit. And let me see. It says the parents who filed the lawsuit say their children in some cases stopped eating, showering or socializing because of their obsession oh. with the game. Let me look into to see where this uh, where this comes from. But yeah, that apparently video games are they're in some hot water right now. Mm. That's crazy. I, my, my thing I deal with this is Ronnie said there are 700,000 to 1.6 million people every day that are still playing this game. It's still very popular. So when you're making that much money on the game still, you need to figure the situation out because if your constituency then just up and leaves because, you know, their data is either leaked or, you know, that it's just completely lost, they're probably not going to return in place. It's like the fact that you have all this money that you now could be losing, it's like you got to figure this out. You got to you need to get your priorities straight and figure out who it's going to be and figure it out quickly because, again, that that window is closing. And, you know, think about fiscally for all these games, it's you need to do whatever you can to ensure that your your constituency is going to going to keep playing, especially for Fortnite with that lawsuit. You know, who do they want to keep playing the game? The younger kids. Now, you can view that. However, I mean, that's a whole discussion. We can go on for that for for days. But, you know, it, it's just like trying to make sure that you can keep your players playing, because, again, once that next hot fad comes in your revenue streams out the window. So it's like you want to keep as many people playing while you still can. Not even to mention it's the holiday season. I mean, yeah. of course, everybody's going to be on. I looked into it. It's a Canadian Supreme Court judge that authorized the lawsuit against Fortnite's manufacturer filed by Quebec parents. So, I mean, mm. okay. <laughs> it's a lawsuit against Fortnite for their game being addicting. Is it bad? Absolutely. Do I think it's a bit of a compliment, though? Yeah, I mean, I mean hey, you they're, make they're this good of a work. product, you know, and uh, you're getting sued for being addicting. I mean, it, addicting is not the uh, the prettiest word to use, mm. but yeah. I do think there's a very bad stigma against video games, and it's also like when you see like the stereotypes of people who play video games or are like heavily invested in video games, it just seems like they don't seem to be taking care of themselves. So I do understand when parents are like, "I want my kid." to just do the needs for their hygiene rather than playing a video game. I do think that's a greater conversation we need to have as a society, just making sure that people know that you can't 
for a million different things. You can't sacrifice your hygiene, your mental health, and your physical health for whatever activity you're pouring so much of your time into. Yeah. And I feel like it, I feel it's because it's a video game that it necessarily gets such a bad rep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this can happen with, with anything. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're set in addicted to anything, then, you know, th- these things happen. People that, you know, are addicted to their craft, they'll sit down and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll bunker themselves in and just keep working and working. Even just phones. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, people, you start to forget about the things that you need, you know, as a, as a person, just your basic needs. But since it's a video game, now people look at it, well, you know, now it's that fault. Mm-hmm. I do also think that if we are going to view, like, somebody who has maybe like a video game addiction we need to treat them with the respect and care that we treat people with different types of addictions to make sure that they're getting the support and help help that they need rather than like acting as though like it's something they can eat quote unquote easily get over or mm-hmm. it's something that's quote unquote not that big of a deal like we still should surprise provide them the support and care that they'll need to get over it and maybe help make more of a healthy transition in their lives rather than acting like it's silly or anything like that and I, I would think for the server su- shutdown, it's a little bit different because let's say you're playing a video game. Like for me, <coughs> goodness, I remember that I play Wii Sports all the time and they have the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. And Nintendo was like, oh, we're shutting down the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. I'm like, I want to play my Madden 12 and Mario Kart Wii on the <laughs> Wi-Fi. But, you know, obviously you couldn't do that. But I think um, with such a popular game being around like World of Warcraft and all of that going on, I think you need to keep that base happy and satisfied because otherwise, like Jason said, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Then you're going to spiral down, like Dallas said, into that uh, type of addiction that could possibly be there as well. So, well, I think another factor to look at, too, is the pandemic. So many people couldn't go outside. They couldn't socialize. So what do they do? They play video games, and rightfully so. If you can't leave your house, you need to have something to entertain you and keep you from going out and doing stuff. So I think especially, you know, we're looking at how all these people are getting hooked, and it's like, well, they had nothing else to do. But so it, It's also a type of socialization, too, because, I mean, you could still interact with people online and have that connection that way, which, again, people really only could do back then, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I like, mean, so I, that's why I think so many people got pulled in, I think why you're seeing so many more people, you know, because it was just, that, that was one of the few things that we could do during that time. Yeah. I mean, I've made some, some, pretty, some pretty great friends over playing video games, especially over the pandemic, you know, so... I feel like it it goes both ways, and it's just it's sad to see a game that's been around for so long go through something so turbulent. I just kind of I, I hope it works out. I mean, granted, I'm not a bit I don't play it, but I think it's been around for so long. It, it's nice to to see it to see it still go. It looks like it got a lot left in the tank. Yeah, and we still have a lot more left in the tank on the show to go. We still got another half hour, and then a very special second hour coming up uh, when we get back around to it. So we're gonna take. A short little reprieve, and then we'll be in when the time comes. I hope you all weren't homesick uh, of missing us there. But that was Kane Brown for Homesick. And granted, why I play that song, we have a lot of health stories coming up uh, on this side of the half hour. So Dallas, feel free to take it away for us. So in news across the U.S., hospitals have been overflowing with an influx of patients battling a trifecta of respiratory illnesses. Since Thanksgiving, Dr. Christopher Longhurst, the chief medical officer at UC San Diego Health, has noted that respiratory illnesses such as COVID, RSV, and the flu have been up. Like hospitals across the country, UC San Diego has had to get creative with how they handle this mass number of patients. Last week, according to a CNN report, hospitals across the nation were the fullest they have been since throughout the pandemic, having reached 80% capacity. This is an 8 percentage point jump in the past two weeks. This was also the highest level since the Omicron surge in January. Both COVID and the flu 
infections are especially on the rise, as RSV has seemed to mellow, mellow out this week from last week. All, but all but seven states are experiencing high or very high respiratory virus activity, according to the Center for D- Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC has advised that those in high-risk communities wear a mask as respiratory issues are going, are going around and we're getting towards the holiday season and a lot of people are going to be like spending time with their family. And a lot of doctors have noted that there's been so much overlap with RSV, COVID, the flu. One doctor even said they've seen the cases of all three in one patient. And so those are just some concerns as we're going into the holiday season on how people need to make sure that they're taking care of their health. It's like when you do uh, Press Your Luck, the old game show, and you just get a triple whammy. That's what this is, a Mm. triple whammy. I think everything just is coming together at the same exact time, and it's making it a heck of a lot harder for people to really get uh, healthy and stay healthy, for that matter, when the time comes. Because I know at least last year you had the New Year surge when it came to COVID. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal throughout the city and just throughout the country itself. And now with everything going on here, especially with just the extra jumps that are going through, I think that's also an issue, too. Yeah, it's really like getting hit while you're down. You know, things like COVID, they, they leave you really, really weak, you know, really susceptible to other things. And then you get the flu or you get RSV. So I feel like it goes beyond just, you know, wear a mask and take care of yourself. I feel like you really just have to like be, be real critical of your health, especially at this point, because there's so much going on and so much going around. You know, the flu by itself is bad. COVID by itself is bad. But alone, you can deal with it. All three of them. That's when it gets real dangerous. If it wasn't dangerous already, mm-hmm. I yeah, it's it's a dangerous time, but I think if you really just take the time to take care of yourself and really be critical of that, we can get through. I mean, if we made it through COVID, we can make it through this. I this, I'm I'm sure this is not the first time that a lot of things have been going around, but that doesn't make it any less you know any any less worrisome. Thursday show I have to say. This whole semester, I feel like I have been negative in a pessimist at times. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but the trend's going to continue. So you have to look at the trajectory of major outbreaks and what has happened since then. With the bubonic plague, we still see cases of it. You know, with smallpox, it took until we had to eradicate it with vaccination that it was able to go away and, again, remain for hundreds of years. So with COVID, I know everybody wants to say that it's over, wants to say that it's leaving us. COVID probably isn't going to go away for at least another 10 years. It's going to be something every year that we deal with. It's going to be minor endemic cases. And, you know, it's going to be going down and down and down. But this is a trend that's going to continue. And you're going to see where we're going to have probably every holiday season and when it gets colder out and people have to go inside, it's just going to be a trend where COVID's going to come up and it's going to keep coming back every single year. So the fact that it's not only is COVID this strong, but also the flu, also RSV, it's just a perfect storm. But unfortunately, again, as we're masking less and all of these other illnesses that we were used to having in a, in a pre-pandemic time, they're all going to come around. They're a lot stronger because we don't have as much immunity. So it's just this is something we're going to have to get used to. Now, for some, I know that masking has become a little bit more where people are okay with doing that, even as we're in a little bit more of like a post, you know, that main phase of the pandemic. So it's just kind of breaking down. All right, like make smart decisions. You know, if someone's sick, try to try to keep your space. It's just this is something we're going to have to deal with and be used to. And again, COVID is something that isn't going to go away. So it's just being vigilant trying to do the best that you can to keep your community safe. And again, you know, if you can get your flu shot, get your flu shot, do your precautions, you know, drink your orange juice, take your vitamins. It's just the little things you can try to do. But again, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to change anything. They're all still going to pop up and people are going to get sick, unfortunately. And on the topic of vaccinations, the report did like hammer in on the fact that there are flu and COVID vaccinations are still available. RSV, 
there is not a vaccine for RSV, according to the report. Yep, there are vaccines for both COVID and the flu, but not for RSV. So all three of the viruses have very similar symptoms, so they're just highly recommending that. When the time, usually the colder seasons are coming, make sure you get vaccinated for COVID and the flu to protect yourself against that and just keep your distance, be aware of the people around you and make sure that you're keeping your health in tip-top shape. I got my double booster. I'm good to go. I've had that for, I think, what, maybe a couple months now. They had it at the Hofstra Clinic over there for their free clinics. But just to give a preface uh, on current numbers uh, for COVID on this end, seven-day metrics throughout New York, according to the CDC, 18,027 new cases. Uh, Hospital admissions for a seven-day moving average is at 453. 109 deaths throughout those seven days and a positivity rate of 10 to 14.9 percent. Nassau and Suffolk counties and really all of the five boroughs are in a high community level range. Uh, Majority upstate though is in the green low level as well. So I think especially when it comes to just population-wise and density Mm -hmm. there, too. That's going to be it. I'm going to second, Jason, but I'm going to go a little bit further on the timeline. I'm going to say probably maybe even 30, 40 years, honestly. I mean, I think it's always going to be around. I think that's just going to be the case and what that new normal is. But I think we'll be able to learn to adjust to it as time goes on as well. Yeah, I don't think you ever really get rid of it. I feel like it just becomes something that's more common and now we can deal with it. The flu, you know, was the big one until now. We have the vaccine. So, of course, the flu is still around, but nobody looks at it with that, you know, that same kind of antipathy because, well, we have we have a vaccine for it. We can, we can take care of it. So I think what you guys are saying makes perfect sense. It's not necessarily that we're going to get rid of it entirely, but the way that we deal with it is going to advance and it's going to make it that, that, that little bit less intimidating. I do also agree that it's going to be a long-standing issue like most of the viruses that we deal with, but I think the peaks are going to go down. Like We won't have as many like influx cases that are happening right now. And I just want to sh- give some love to the like hospital staff that are working through this these environments because in UC San Diego, they have to set up like emergency triage spaces for patients just because of the mass influx of people coming in and dealing with respiratory illnesses. So shout out to all the hospital staffs, the nurses, the doctors, the specialists who are doing the jobs to make sure that everybody's healthy and safe and taking care of those who come in. They're, they're certainly on the front lines of this pandemic that we have going on. So it's great to see that they're always around uh, helping out when need be when uh, we have that help as well. Uh, I know we'll get to our next section here for our stories. So what do we have next? What do we got? All right, all right, all right. This one, this one's a bit, a, a bit of a, of a heavy one. You know, we're talking about health, and it's about time that we touched again on the ever turbulent topic of reproductive health. Now, in Tennessee specifically, according to the AP, a poll was conducted by Vanderbilt University, and it illustrated that a majority of voters want abortion restrictions to be scaled back. Specifically, they want exceptions made for cases of rape, incest, or to save the mother's life. The problem is that these laws are these exceptions are not present as of now and they're not as black and white as voters are making them seem. Tennessee is a state that is consistently Republican and also sports one of the strictest abortion bans in the country. Now three of every four people polled felt that the ban should be lifted for those specific reasons. However, fewer than one fewer than one in every five people could identify the statement that most closely resembled the current state abortion laws. So they want a change by the looks of it, they don't necessarily know how the law stands as of right now. Presented with six descriptions, 36% of respondents said that they did not know enough to say what the law entailed, while 25% of respondents simply chose the option that read, quote, illegal except in the case of rape, incest, or to save the mother's life, end quote. Interestingly, 
Tennessee does not have an explicit exemption for mother uh, for the saving of a mother's life. If that you know makes an exemption for abortion, instead it leaves the decision entirely up to that of the doctor. The doctor now has to make a case in criminal court, might I add, proving that the abortion was absolutely necessary. And the sentiments of the sentiments of the voters now are echoing that of voters who originally casted national votes last month, with six out of ten saying that the overturning of Roe v. Wade left them angry or dissatisfied as opposed to the one in ten who felt satisfied or happy with the result i mean i i think in this case just more of a sense of i guess uh civic understanding and learning of the laws i mean granted i'm, I'm sure we're all not perfect i don't know every single state in the in, i don't know every single law in the new york state penal code but if anything i think it's just more of the literacy aspect through there if anything uh that could be learned as well because certainly it's like when you go on to there was a thing I saw it was in mass media studies we had a clip that happened it was Jimmy Kimmel had gone on the street asking people if they supported either Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act and of course we all know those are both the exact same mm -hmm. thing but if you put it into a different perspective people are going to think of it in a different way mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty much how you frame the situation if anything else but granted it's just a matter of here's the law and here's what it is, but I, I don't know how it works in this case. I do completely agree that it's a big issue of lit, like legal literacy across the United States. This is not just a Tennessee issue. It's a nationwide issue because the fact of the matter is that people side with believing that they believe that abortion should be illegal with these clauses in place, that in cases of rape, incest, or the safety of whoever is giving birth, the safety of their life. Those are pretty, I guess, like, good clauses to have in case because so many things can happen but the fact that people believe that that's what the law of their state is when in reality it is not that leaves people flying blind and they're following some misguided belief that the politicians that are there are still supporting those same core values and beliefs that they have rather than knowing that that's not the case that really is that is like going down and what is happening so it might affect the way that they vote in the future if they realize that the politicians that are in place are not siding with them in the, on those like smaller clauses. Yeah, I feel that wanting change is perfectly understandable. You have the right to want to you know, want change and try to make change, but to be able to do that, you need to understand what's happening right now. And the fact that a lot of them couldn't is a little concerning because then you really don't know exactly what ground you're standing on. Who's to say you're not you know you're not making a, a redundant push because these things are. They might already be, you know, in place. You want you want to have that background knowledge before you before you really make that push. But one thing that was interesting to me is the the case of of the doctor. Mm -hmm. What I do I think it's smart to leave it up to a medical professional. Absolutely, they're the person that is the most qualified to make that decision. But to leave it entirely up to them, and that you have to prove in a criminal court that this abortion was necessary is shocking mm -hmm. i know, completely agree because the fact of the matter is the doctor could make the decision that's best suited for their medical practice but if they get up into the criminal court and the judge or whoever is presiding over the case disagrees with them on something that doesn't have to do with the medical facts and figures then where does that leave the doctor now the doctor and in, in an attempt to save somebody's life is sitting with a class c felony mm -hmm. and if it's how are if the doctor firmly believes that this could save the person's life i don't think people besides those who are in the hospital room should have a say in that like the fact that a judge could be like a doctor could be like hey the person who was giving birth had all these medical risks in place 
I felt as though their survival and safety was in jeopardy, a judge could look at that and be like, well, they could have survived without it. But I think if you're going to do that, I, I feel like the only the only thing, you know, the, the only thing that that would make it in, in in a way fair is you have medical professionals on the other side of the case as well. And now I'd say, you know, if the doctor is the one under the microscope, OK, this is why I thought that, you know, this abortion was necessary and you give them for the lack of a better term, that case file, you give them that detail, those details. And now the medical professionals on the side of the judge have to sit there and deliberate. Mm-hmm. If they concur with the decision, well, now the doctor gets off scot-free. He, you know, he, he was ratified by other medical professionals that don't have that bias. But if that's not in place, I feel like it's, well, you know, I, I'm the judge. I have the power. I, you you could have made it. And now mm-hmm. the doctor loses his job and is sitting with a, a felony. It leaves a lot of room for medical professionals to have to well medical professionals should have to justify what they're doing but them having to justify the act of saving someone's life or them having to justify the experiences that that person had to go through to plead their case to not go to jail for saving someone's life or just to help someone in the case of rape or incest like those are also extreme cases where abortion might need to be necessary if that person feels as though this experience is unwanted is heavily unwanted in one case or another, they shouldn't have to go through being put on trial to be like, I didn't want to go through this because of like a horrible situation that happened to me. Uh, so it was funny. That was the first thing that jumped out of me reading the article was about that. But here's what I thought about, okay? If you're, a, um, uh, and again, I don't know the exact words, so correct me you know, if one of you know, but if you're a doctor that performs abortions, I'm, I'm not sure what the exact term will be, but you know, th- this is your job. You're doing this every single day. What you do for your job that you would have to go to court every single time you do your job. Look, imagine being a board operator. Let's say that right now this all went wrong. You went to automation. Okay. Is WRHU going to put you in court because you did your job of trying to save the show? So the fact that it's every time this doctor does their job, they then have to go to court possibly and have to prove why they were doing their job. It, it just sounds like one, it's a waste of the doctor's time to the amount of money in court. And the, and the focus that could be put on so many other better things. Again, when we're talking about saving lives, you're, you're being put in a criminal court for trying to save someone's life. You know, it, with all of what's been going on with this, it just it, it, it pains me with the fact that, again, with these people that don't know the, the fact that, you know, they, they think that, okay, if there's rape, incest, or, you know, the mother's life's at risk, we're able to get an abortion on the fact that it's, no, that's not what it is. You know, that they don't know that. It's lives that could possibly be lost. And the fact that it's something that, quote unquote, is supposed to save lives is now leading to the upending and possibly ending of them. The the hypocrisy, I I say it every week, the hypocrisy just it drives me up a wall. What what catches me off guard, too, is, okay, these people are pushing for change that in in any other case, that'd be a step forward. In this case, it's a step completely backwards because they're fighting for the they're, they're fighting for that freedom that was taken away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't understand because now we we changed Roe v. Wade now. Oh, OK, that's a quote unquote step forward. You know, we're changing. We're changing the laws. You know, now this, the, everything is different now. The lifestyle is different. OK, we want it back. Now we have to fight for what was completely fundamental. Mm-hmm. We have to fight to get something that was completely fundamental back and well established in our nation's exactly. history. Exactly. And ex- extremely well established at that something that. A large majority of the population have no idea how it works. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> me, Jason, and Luke have no idea <laughs> how this how you know this whole thing works. So how can we have a you know a a, a reinforced backed uh you know opinion medical mm-hmm. opinion at that? I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a Supreme Court Supreme Court I believe like they came together and there was a medical professional a woman who was talking about like what abortion actually is and there was someone sitting up there i forget who it was who was just like completely wrong in all the information that they were saying and the medical professional was like you don't know what you're talking about and i'm trying to explain it to you please stop cutting me off and that really made me realize that the people who are making the decisions either don't know the facts of the matter don't know the people that it's genuinely affecting and don't know enough background information to feel as though they can comfortably make the decision that it should be outlawed across the united states and another thing that really gets me is the fact that if a trained medical doctor is performs an abortion and under these case for any so reason, just because even if just because the person wanted an abortion and they get up there and they are arguing their case in a criminal court and the court decides that they failed to argue it in a justifiable reason, that person can go to prison for 15 years. Not only that, I'd say that even let's say even if they win the case. What's to say that the state of Tennessee can't be like, we're going to revoke your medical license because mm-hmm. you did this and you already have those ramifications. It's kind of like a, a catch-22. You really have no way out, if anything, through that. But Tennessee has a really, I guess in this case, like Ronnie had mentioned, more of an absolutist view on abortion. But for the Pew Research Center, who actually had their uh, striking findings for the year released three days ago, uh, a majority of adults say abortion should be legal in some cases, illegal in others. So not an absolutist view either way. Uh, in the United States. Uh, they say 36% should be legal in most cases, 27% illegal in most cases, but only absolutist views illegal in all cases for no exceptions at 8%, legal in all cases, no exceptions at 19%. The f- I think the fact that people do believe that abortion should be allowed, period, like without nuance or like consideration on all the external factors that got, have gotten a person there is crazy and inconsiderate of the people who have to go through giving birth. Well, and you don't know their situation. You don't know their there. situation. Yep. And it's also, I feel as though we have, uh, we as a country has framed this conversation as like something that only people who are biologically women have to go through. Let's also talk about like transgender people, like for trans men, giving birth is like something that they don't want to go through at all but it's something that they are capable of doing. It just feels like it would also be like more gender affirming if we allow more clauses for abortions to exist. It would just allow people to live more comfortably if they're not ready or they just don't want to go through that process of giving birth. I think we should just frame it more about a person issue, an issue for all people and not just an issue of, you know, just women or an issue for just the fact that people think we need to save, quote unquote, save the babies. Let's talk about the people who have to deliver the future baby that you're referring to and also do better for the babies who are already existing on the planet. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like it comes down to not necessarily just being able to do it, but having the freedom to do it should mm-hmm. we need to. You know you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, okay, you're you're for abortion. That means you want one? I didn't, I didn't say that. I said I want the freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. I, I want that. I want that freedom. I want, to, you know, to have that ability to make my decision. I think we need to reframe the conversation around abortion just to be like the ability for people to make that decision because the fact of the matter is if you are pro-choice that doesn't mean you're gonna get one it doesn't mean that you personally want one no one's forcing you either nobody's forcing you Mm -hmm. to do it like i've had these conversations with people in my family and they're like 
I wouldn't do it, but I don't. It, my personal beliefs shouldn't impact what other people do with their bodies and their health decisions. I think the fact of the matter is people who heavily side with pro-life to make the decisions on a sweeping level that nobody should have that opportunity and access, sh- we, we need to consider it more from like an individualistic issue into like a whole world issue like your personal medical beliefs shouldn't impact other people uh, it's if people aren't a monolith there's always mm-hmm. different you know aspects of what people are going through through those instances too so i think we should Im- import that within the laws that we have in our society but nevertheless we are going to go and take a quick reprieve again and then after the break we're going to be discussing some waffles on the health side when we get back of course, breakfast at Tiffany's deep blue something, and while it isn't uh, a deep blue that we have going through, it's a deep haze, I guess you could say, uh, in terms of egos. Uh, pretty much, according to NBC, there was an ego factory last year in 2021 in San Jose that released over 3,400 pounds of anhydrous ammonia. Uh, sorry, ammonia last year. Uh, which can apparently lead people to have serious injury or death if being exposed to it uh, by the workers. Uh, and so apparently the operators for the factory were negligent in calling for emergency services. They actually called just about an hour after uh, the report of the gas leak had occurred. Uh, and granted, uh, the company, which technically Kellogg's the parent company, but I guess Ego is held responsible in some way, uh, was fined $85,000 for the incident. And it was charged for, quote, negligently discharging an air contaminant and failing to immediately report the release, among other charges. Kellogg said that while the incident had occurred, they had been cooperating with the regulators to ensure more safety calls were put into place since then. So if you're in San Jose, maybe it's time to let go of that Ego. What, what do we think? I am in shambles right now, okay? I have a box of waffles at home that are calling my name, and now I need to think about if it's safe to eat them or not. I mean, all jokes aside, it's a, it's a serious problem, and I think it's it was a, a, I mean negligent is the nice way to put it about how the uh, how they were dealing with that situation and it's not like they were dealing it with dealing with it with something as easy you know as as clothes or you know something that you can just re- uh, a lot easier recall this is this is food you know this is something that is going to be consumed by other people and on moss i mean me included i did just like i said i did just buy myself a box of ego waffles mm-hmm. so i was thinking about it tomorrow morning but it looks like i might have to I have to think twice and like uh, let go, like like Luke said. I do agree. It's also like the fact of the matter is these are just reports from last year. We don't know what the figures were before. We don't know what the figures are even during this year. And it's scary to think that the way we get food in America, if it's like processed food or it's coming from a factory, there are so many like there's so many stops on that journey to getting on our plate that we don't know what's going on. Like we don't know what's going on in those factories and we do just have to hope and believe that those factories are operating on the best practices that they can and they're 100% safe, but there are, there's room for error. And we are humans and humans have room for error, but errors on this large of a scale can really have disastrous effects on people. And it's just something that we need to think about moving forward. I want to rewind the clocks a little bit to the early 1900s for a group that I think right now will be appalled. That'd be the Muckrakers, the watchdog, yeah. you know, really one of the first watchdog reporters that reported about some of the horrible food conditions that were going on in the United States and throughout the world during this time. So I feel like really this is an area that we should be reconcerned. I mean, if you look at, 
again, we could go on all day with conversations about food, but w with what's going on with industrial farming and what's going on with just, again, getting everything to your plate. We really don't know what's going on. And with things like this, this is just a report that was released. There are so many different times these corporations have little instances like this where they just pay and then it goes away and it doesn't get reported. So I would love if this group came back to kind of highlight, hey, you know what? They made this mistake, but guess what? There's also been eight of them in the past year that didn't get publicly publicly released. That's just from Ego. Again, there could have been stuff with other companies that make similar products. There's so many different things. It's just, again, it's food. These are human beings. We're not guinea pigs. The fact that it's like, oh, no big deal. Like, th this happened. We'll, we'll pay the money. Again, 85000 for something that could kill people? Mm. It, it just boggles my mind. Hold yourself accountable. You're having a service that it's essentially you're feeding people. You're feeding the world. Feed them healthy food, please. I I, I don't think it's a big ask. If uh, you honor my Hofstra royalty performance, uh, yeah. Sinclair would kick you out the jungle and right into the street. You know, the uh, old muckraker one from the line over there. Granted, apparently ammonia can, and hydrous ammonia, exactly, can have a chronic or repeat exposure from the CDC. It's very, the CDC is just loving us today. Uh, so things that can happen through there, chronic respiratory tract infection, uh, chronic cough, asthma, lung fibrosis, headaches, somnolence, chronic eye membrane irritation, and dermatitis. That sounds like all the side effects in a commercial you would hear after you hear a medication, mm -hmm. not something you'd want to hear after consuming egos. What, what do we think? It's also just for the people who, not only just the consumer issues, the issues of the people who have to work in the factories. Like I can't imagine going into work day in and day out, and then suddenly a year later this report comes out and your bosses are just like, well, sorry about that. Like there's, there's so much that needs to go into making sure that we're taking care of the people who are providing for us and making sure that they're being taken care of on every single level. And I can't imagine like hearing the news that the factory I've been working at for over a year has accidentally exposed me to ammonia. Yeah, I mean, like, I can only hope that the bounce back from this is just as just as intense as the problem itself. Because you know you make this mistake, but how are you gonna how are you gonna come back from it? How are you going to make that wrong right? I want to see how Kellogg goes about doing that, and because you hate to see not only the uh, like you know the food in jeopardy, but like you said, that's the people working for it. We're thinking about you know factory to plate or however it, it get however it's made to our plates. We're not thinking about the people who are putting in that time to make it. You know how how are they going to be affected? Let's just hope that. It, it's not too bad and that you know we, we can come back from this yeah well we'll see how it goes i mean granted i know it's a quote from the old kellogg's frosted flakes so, you know they're great but not so great today it seems not so great today <laughs> so we'll we'll see what steps can be put into place if any when the time comes well we are going to head into hour number two as i said special second hour that we're going to have coming up but first our 10 second legal id and opener Proudly broadcasting from the Richard Philip Cavallaro Studio. WWRHU. Hempstead. You discovered. You discovered. A cornerstone of the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication. WWRHU. Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. 
You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to our second hour that we have today. Again, Long Island news, new, Long Island life, national news, international issues. But it's a twist that we have in our second hour. The reason being, we are going to do the best of the semester for our version of the morning wake up call. So please stay tuned for that. Welcome back again to the Morning Wake Up Call on your four-time Marconi Award-winning radio station, WRHU. And again, we are getting to the best of that we have had in our production-wise for the Morning Wake Up Call on this specific Thursday show that we have with, of course, the best crew that we have on the Thursday show uh, around here as well. We got Ronnie, we got Dallas, we got Jason, and we got this guy you're listening to right here. Uh, So we're going to get to it in a little bit. But first, of course, we always got to get to Dallas's Dish and the weather. So Dallas, what do we have today? So in today's news, some more updates. On a local, on a national level, the U.S. Postal Service will be honoring the civil rights leader, the, uh, John Lewis, with a stamp of his likeness, for those who are into stamp collection. And going down on to Florida, a Florida deputy of the Monroe County Sheriff's Office has been dressing up as the Grinch and giving onions to speeding drivers. And getting more into local news on New York and Long Island, um, animal advocates are calling for Governor Kathy Hochul to sign a bill banning the sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits at pet stores. Nassau Community College has reversed its course and will not be reinstating its mandatory mass mandate, going against what it previously announced earlier. And Attorney General Letitia James is suing an East Meadow nursing homes over claims of financial fraud and neglect. And those are your top stories for today. I, I, I'm just curious about that whole Grinch onion scenario. I saw Jason and Roddy have a little truckle over here when you said that one. What's the what's with that? Apparently a, it's a Oh sorry. No, just apparently it's a thing that he does consistently, like every couple of years. Um, where he dresses up at the as the Grinch during Christmas time and like when people are speeding, he gives them onions and he's just like if you're doing like minor crimes, I guess, if we want to call speeding a minor crime, he'll just be like don't do that. And he just pretends to be the Grinch, which I think is really fun. There's a there's a delivery driver, I believe it goes for uh, UPS, that has been dressing up as the Grinch, and instead of stealing Christmas, has been delivering Christmas. He will run. He would do the, the little Grinch jog up the up to the uh, up to the house and drop off the package, and then do the exact same thing back to the truck, and then he's a. Uh, He's gone, like Santa. He's the big heart version of the Grinch. Yes, absolutely. The, the latter version. The latter version. Reformed, I, if you will. I heard that story with the onions. I just think of that scene when he has the onion that's already open, puts up to his armpits, like, they want to get to know him. And he's, like, rubbing the <laughs> onion into him. And, like, just imagining 
you know, we watched that movie, and it's a great movie, but, like, the Grinch must have smelled so bad. He mm. ate garbage all day, like, bathed in it, loved it, chewed on glass. Like, this guy probably smelled. I feel like Austin the Grouch would have loved him, though. Oh, they I mean, come on. They'd be best buds. Be great. They're green. They live in garbage. They're, they're having a good time. Make it make it a show right now. That That's a show right there. That is. Yeah. You know, it's also a show, this darn weather every day. Ronnie, oh, what we got? you me. All right, so unfortunately, I wish I had some good news for you guys, but it seems that we've only gotten closer to the rainy weather. As of right now, it is 34 degrees outside of the studio here at WRHU, and up in the cl- up in the sky, it is still very, very cloudy. So the rest of the day will be dry for the next couple hours, but like I said, there is a very high chance of rain starting at 4 o'clock and continuing throughout the day. We do have a bit, a, a, a bit, a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a bright side. Well. I wouldn't say bright side, but, you know, it's going to get a little warmer going up to 42 today, but unfortunately going to drop back down to a low of 31 in the evening. So like I said before, stay dry, stay warm, and hopefully, you know, hopefully you find something to do that's not not outside. Ronnie, if it's not Mr. Brightside, there is no bright side. There is no bright side. It doesn't happen, especially, you know, rain is just not fun. It's I'm not. not a big rain fan, but what can you do? So, of course, like I said, the second hour is probably the the highlight of what we have this semester because it showcases all of our works, what we've done, any fun accomplishments uh, throughout our time. I know for me at least, of course, it's international news, Long Island life and national news. Gotta get them all when we're through here. Uh, granted, of course, the one I chose uh, to put up, of course, was my interview with uh, Dr. Evelyn Rita Michelota, of course, uh, about the royal family, of course, after Queen Elizabeth II's passing, which I know we alluded to and Dallas will later on in the show uh, when the time comes. So for now, we'll listen to that interview while we're at it over here. As the ceremonies and engagements for Queen Elizabeth II continue throughout the United Kingdom, people will soon start looking to the role changes and organizational responsibilities that will change within the so-called workings of the firm. Here to talk about the managerial aspects of the monarchy going forward is Dr. Evelyn Rita Michelota, an associate professor in management of the Telford School of Management at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Michelota, thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for the invitation, Luke. So, can you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do at the University of Ottawa? Yeah, sure. As you said, uh, I am an associate professor uh, of family business and in general management at the Telford School of Management at the University of Ottawa. I'm also a member of uh, FELI, which is the Family Enterprise Legacy Institute, which is an institute within Telford where we study uh, best practices and seek to become a a knowledge hub for uh, family businesses, in particular the next generation. In my research, in general, general, I study institutions, uh, how they are maintained, how they change, and uh, so the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth and the succession process uh, uh, of Prince Charles uh, to the role of king really touches upon two interests uh, of mine. One is institutions and the other is family businesses and succession. And, and you mentioned that family business because, of course, the monarchy is like a, you know, a family in a sense, obviously, in the hereditary aspect. So as you mentioned, Correct. of course... Um, King Charles had ascended to the throne now, assuming the responsibilities of Queen Elizabeth. So how does that organizational structure within the family uh, change within either his day-to-day responsibilities and his role itself as a figurehead? 
Yeah, I mean, of course, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, is, is attracting uh, much attention uh, these days because uh, this is a historical change, of course. But to understand what Prince Charles, what King Charles III is going to have to do, I think we have to say a little bit more about what role uh, Queen Elizabeth had. So in my view, from my perspective, Queen Elizabeth had an incredible role as an institutional guardian. So she was the guardian of the institutional of the monarchy for 70 years. This means that institutions need protections. They are not always as strong as we think them. They are fragile. So they need to be protected uh, in order to keep their relevance. And this is exactly what Queen Elizabeth did. She put a lot of effort, uh, what we call you know, in jargon, in academic jargon, institutional work, to make sure that the monarchy and its value will be perceived and preserved. And how did she do that? She basically, she repaired some tears due to family scandals. She was able to protect the rituals, the ceremonies, even when those ceremonies look very, very old, almost anachronistic. And, uh, you know, she also modernized to some extent the monarchy. So it could adapt to the changing world around and it could survive and maintain relevance. Now, King Charles III really has to do the same. It will have to do the same, but in an environment that changes uh, even more now that the UK uh, and the Commonwealth is increasingly diverse, is increasingly, uh, you know, there is also an idea that maybe the monarchy doesn't have that, that uh, the same value. So what, what he said that he will stop doing uh, is to dedicate time and time to the, the charities that he was very passionate about. What has been clear for the, the comments is that one thing he needs to stop doing, which is to voice his political opinions, his opinions in general about politics, about public affairs in public, because that is a no-no. It's something that it can have very serious consequences for him and for the monarchy. So in general, I think that he will spend more and more time on other public engagements, and he will probably stop voicing his opinion in public matters as this is the most advisable course of action. And obviously with Prince Charles's role change now to King Charles, we have now those few working royals that are left uh, within the family spectrum to hand out those other duties and responsibilities that either he had or Queen Elizabeth did. So what would you say the organizational impact for the monarchy is in terms of handing that over to, let's say, Prince William, uh, Princess Kate and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, this is not very clear uh, at this moment. Uh, I, I read a comment about how King Charles III has been working on being a sort of a silent uh, revolutionary, so he probably will want to slim down the monarchy quite a bit. That's what he mentioned, because the monarchy is costing taxpayers quite a bit, and that has been, uh, um, over the years, you know, there have been comments about to whether it's still valuable. So the idea is that probably he will try to uh, make changes within the firm, so within the organization of the monarchy, uh, to try maybe to reduce waste and to maximize the work of the current royals. 
but at the same time I also um, think uh, I mean, the idea is that the royals are already working really really hard so apparently William and his wife uh, Catherine are spending a lot of time already working on their public engagement and other commitments so I'm not sure with the even uh, more slim monarchy what uh, he will be able to do that has to be something that is going to change within maybe the organizational and the redundancy within the firm. Now, of course, the big question I think a lot of people usually have uh, is, of course, with uh, Prince Harry and Princess Meghan in terms of how much uh, they technically go and do their own roles within that if they do decide to come back uh, because of obviously the Queen's death or anything like that. So do you necessarily see them uh, having a place with the monarchy or the firm going forward? Or do you think in the structure of it, if they're slimming it down, that they're really going to be needed in a sense? So uh, the family dynamics have always been, uh, you know, very, very interesting in the royal family. And uh, to some extent, the queen has always put, at least in my opinion, uh, her duty and her role and responsibility above the family. Um, it is clear that some decisions have been made um, that were detrimental for the family, but they were needed to preserve the integrity of the monarchy. Now, I think that the royal family is a family, so they have their quarrels, and the, the, the latest development with Harry and Meghan were just one example. I think based on what I read and what even King Charles said in his address, for now at least Harry and Meghan will continue to pursue their own interests and they will live overseas, they're financially independent, so I don't see in the near future any potential role in their uh, in the monarchy even if it's slimmed down but in the future because you know family ties never never die and uh, they are, they have demonstrated that they are still a quite united family or at least that that's the impression and that's the image that they wanted to portray um, to the people that they're still a family despite all the quarrels it might, there might be some opportunities of for of course in the future i also want to um, to make a comment about the role of uh, prince andrew uh, which, you know, who after the scandals uh, uh, that, that involved, uh, you know, his figure with Epstein uh, has been stripped down of its uh, titles and, and, his, uh, um, and his roles and responsibility. That's what the Queen did. She was very ruthless in doing that. Uh, so he, he, there are very few people who actually in the monarchy uh, can keep doing the work. So that is something that King Charles III will definitely need uh, to take into account. So with everything being said, of course, as the overall of it, uh, where do you necessarily see the monarchy going forward? I know you already mentioned about King Charles trying to rein in his public charities, at least for his work and also his uh, political uh, opinions that he may have, um, but what do you necessarily see them going forward, whether it is that structural breakdown, like you said, or anything else? This is, you know, a very, very interesting and important question. Maybe a king... Charles III, uh, when he was not king, when he was uh, still the Prince of Wales, uh, he thought that he, when his time would come, uh, he would probably make some some changes that he thinks are necessary. But these are very turbulent times. Uh, these are times where you know the the UK is going to nine percent inflation. There is a war, and uh, there is still COVID, you know, looming in the, in the, in the background. So I do think that at least for now, King Charles will 
try to uh, maintain the role that the monarch has had so far under Queen Elizabeth, which basically is uh, to make sure that at time of division, at time of, of uncertainty, the the crown uh, is still considered what is uh, you know the, the the symbol of unity um, for uh, for the Commonwealth and for the UK. And uh, you know he will leave to the the, the messy process of democracy you know the the new prime minister and uh, and the uh, downing street uh, all the messiness uh, figuring out the democratic process but the crown will remain uh, that symbol i think he will work really really hard at maintaining the legacy uh, of, of his mother uh, of course, in the long term, I think you will think of uh, uh, innovating within the tradition, uh, which is something that many family firms do. So to try to keep the legacy, but at the same time, uh, give a unique spin to the monarchy that he has waited for so long, you know, to, to be the leader of. What would you say that unique spin is, if you had to say? I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a hundred uh, you know, million dollar question. I do think that he he... He, he has to face a situation uh, that is probably a little bit different. It's going to be uh, growingly more intense for him. For example, there are already some uh, countries in the Commonwealth that now that Queen Elizabeth uh, has passed, uh, they they are already saying uh, that they don't want to be in the Commonwealth. Uh, Aruba and Antigua, Jamaica has sort of the same uh, sentiment. So I think that that this will be something we will have to face and maybe those countries didn't take any real step out of respect for Queen Elizabeth and for what she represented but now that King Charles is is the, the new face of the monarchy they might go ahead and of course uh, King Charles has also um, some some interest in uh, you know in farming in architecture uh, so I think he will try even though he will not voice his public opinion he will try to work on those issues so he will try to include his, his interest uh, into some practices and, and policies. Definitely something to look into going forward when the time comes. Um, before we let you go, Dr. Michelona, is there anything you'd like to add, uh, any way that our listeners can get involved or in, know about the work that you do over at the University of Ottawa? Oh, sure. Thank you for this uh, this opportunity, you know, to say that, that to promote the work that we're doing. So clearly, I'm a, you know, I'm a professor, so they can find me on my uh, the faculty directory page. I'm on LinkedIn and uh, there is my email address. And of course, uh, we have the Family and Legacy Institute Institute website. So if there are family businesses out there who uh, really are looking for a safe place where uh, they can learn about it themselves, they can learn with other family firms, and they want to use the, the our knowledge, uh, we are very, very happy to welcome them. So please uh, reach out and uh, feel free to be in touch. And again, that was Dr. Evelyn Rita Michelotta, an Associate Professor of Management at the Telford School of Management at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Michelotta, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Duke. This is your wake-up call. You're listening to Radio Hofstra University, available worldwide at WRHU.org. Welcome back, everybody. Of course, uh, with the Harry and Meghan buzz going on with the documentaries, I figured that it'd be great to go and highlight that again. 
uh, for Dr. Evelyn Rita Micheloda over there again. So great to hear from that. Of course, Ronnie, I know we do have uh, your own package that I know you're very proud of. Of course, again, one best package at our superlative day uh, for the morning wake-up call meeting that we had just a couple days ago. So, Ronnie, feel free to take it away. Well, we got a lot of a lot of news broadcasting, a lot of broadcasting going on in general over here at uh, you know at Hostra, and it's pretty cool for us being students to be able to uh, you know to get involved with that. But it's even cooler when you got some some young fifth graders doing the exact same thing just a few minutes away at Abbey Lane Elementary. So, uh, October, I got you know I had the privilege to go and talk to their principal and shed a little bit of light on their broadcasting program over there and see how these fifth graders are getting into the broadcasting action. Happy Friday, aviators! Today is May 14th, 2022. Thank you for tuning in to watch our last Abby Action News of the school year. What you just heard wasn't a group of kids playing pretend. Their team of full-fledged fifth-grade news reporters from Abby Action News, the news broadcasting program out of Abby Lane Elementary School, located in Levittown, New York. Surprised? Well, you should be. Broadcasting programs by themselves are impressive, but broadcasting programs in elementary schools are almost unheard of. So why start now? Why start so young? So prior to coming to um, Levittown here, I worked in Mineola schools, and we worked with uh, a program called MSG Varsity uh, at that time, and um, MSG was trying to get uh, high school students to cover sporting events and different things that took place in the high school. This is Dr. George Maurer, principal at Abbey Lane Elementary School, located in Levittown. He is the brainchild of Abbey Action News. So when I came here, it was a goal of mine to try to get something in uh, video and audio for our elementary school kids to be exposed in uh, or exposed to. So we talked about it with, with some of the uh, teachers here, and I, I tried to see if there would be anybody that would be interested in trying to create something that really, um, as far as I knew, did not exist at an elementary school level. And we sat down and we planned it out and we talked about uh, what we hope to accomplish with the kids and what we hope to provide for them. And that was really the early genesis of, of the program. I was intrigued by the work of the Abbey Action News team because of my own grade school experience. Growing up and going to school in East New York, extracurriculars outside of sports were few and far between. Student outlook on life, more specifically their own futures, was very limited. Most kids would say professional athlete, a member of law enforcement, or maybe a doctor when asked about their career plans. Careers in radio were unheard of. Students had no idea that this was a path that they could go down. I, for one, wasn't fully aware of radio as a career until college. For Principal Maurer, that was the driving force behind the introduction of this program to his students. Again, it's that whole notion of um, giving students an opportunity to um, do things that they can look to and say, you know what, maybe I can do that one day when I am an adult, when I'm in college or beyond. Uh, it's that real world application, you know, giving kids an opportunity to be content creators, um, to be able to create something that is entirely student run and student created, and then to be able to show that to an audience that is larger than just, you know, maybe the classroom teacher or even the, the classroom uh, or the building itself. Clearly, the media climate is much different today with the arrival of the digital era. Young students are constantly exposed to online media platforms like TikTok and YouTube. So students are more in touch with broadcasting, 
even if they just don't realize it yet. You know, you talk to kids nowadays, everybody wants to be a YouTuber or, um, you know, some sort of, you know, web-based personality. And, you know, kids are interested in podcasts and things like that. And they, they want to be involved. They want to do this type of work. So I think we're providing them an opportunity. An opportunity to do work similar to that of the pros. Abbey Action News anchors and reporters are doing everything from story reporting to covering feature stories. Welcome to the latest edition of Mrs. Beasley's Kitchen. I'm here today with Carrie Bliss from Miss Rossi's class. Thanks for joining me, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Miss Beasley. However, it is one that comes with its fair share of challenges. For one, bringing the program to life did not happen overnight, as Dr. Maurer recalls. Yeah, so one of the first things that we had to do was figure out which staff members would run the program or help facilitate the program so we were able to find uh, two staff members that were uh, interested and they really kind of worked behind the scenes to come up with the plan so while they were working on that I was working on getting some of the equipment that was needed we were very fortunate at that time our PTA purchased uh, for us our very first set of equipment uh, so they purchased for us a HD camera with some microphones and a very simple, you know, editing program. Maurer says it was also challenging to introduce the idea of creating a newscast to students who have no experience with the medium at all. Um, so we really kind of had to work with students and, and show them some of the basics on how to operate the camera, on how to, you know, write a story, like what a good story needs and how you catch people's attention and what makes the story of interest to someone else. But once we were able to do that, you know, the, the students really kind of gravitated towards it. They got an understanding. As more students developed their skills and understanding of the medium, increasingly new students got involved. It was a spiral effect, making those students who are already a part of the program even more interested encouraging them to get more involved in production. Some kids automatically know that they want to be an on-air personality, and then we have other students who are very maybe shy or a little less confident and maybe don't want to be on screen. But sometimes things happen, and our news anchors are, are absent from school. Maybe they get sick or something like that, and we need somebody at the last minute to jump in, and a lot of times it's the behind-the-scenes kids that will say, hey, you know, would you be willing to jump in and and you know be an anchor and they do and then what they find is that they really enjoyed it and that they they liked it and they did a nice job and then they got you know nice feedback from their teachers and their peers and now all of a sudden you know the, the students that were behind the scenes now were like oh yeah I want to be on camera too that that was pretty fun that was awesome. Dr. Maurer says it did not take long for the entire school community to take notice and recognize the work that was being done. He says it inspired students to get involved and open their eyes to broadcasting. And when the other kids see them walking around the building with all of the equipment, they get all excited. They're like, oh, there's Abbey Action News. Oh, there's, you know, so-and-so's, you know, reporting on a story. And the other kids are excited just knowing that, you know, somebody's going around the building to cover a story. Hi, I'm Harrison Ginsburg, and I'm here with Miss Sparrow and Miss Baez, our band and orchestra directors, and Miss Wenz's second grade class. The Abbey... The second graders at Abbey Lane are going to have the opportunity to learn a musical instrument next year. Today, they will get to hear different instruments and learn a little bit about each instrument. This will help the students decide what instrument they might not like to play next year. Abbey Action News covers a range of stories in the school community, from everyday happenings to live school events. The student reporters even go as far as to cover live school events on the spot. 
and bring the story to the rest of the school. Hi, I'm Max Gospodashets, and I'm here with Mrs. Trapani's kindergarten class. The kindergartners at Abbey Lane are celebrating the, their moms or special woman in their life at today's tea. But the goal of Abbey Action News is not just to teach students how to report, write, and produce TV newscasts. It's also designed as a platform for students to flourish and develop themselves as individuals. It's important to understand just how much the students are influenced by the program. According to Principal Maurer, he has seen a change in his students that goes beyond the simple desire to be on the air. I think that the overall confidence of our students within the program, you know, from the time that they start to the time that they finish with us at the end of the year, um, they all really grow in lots of different ways. After interviewing Principal Maurer, it was easy to see just how much his program has done for his students, and their continued participation is a clear indication of just that. Naturally, I was curious as to whether or not other schools had taken to introducing a similar program. Principal Maurer explained that despite being a seemingly daunting task, the process of implementation is actually quite simple. People, when they see what we're able to do, they're always very impressed and then they're also equally as overwhelmed thinking that they can't possibly do that or maybe that they don't have the resources to do what we do. Um, but you can, you know, facilitate a program just like ours, you know, very inexpensively, even with old equipment or used equipment. Principal Maurer and his faculty have even gone as far as to host workshops to teach schools how to implement a broadcast program of their own. We've had some people that have you know, been part of, of our workshops that have called us up or, you know, done site visits here. And then, you know, a few weeks or months later, they share with us their first new show. And we've been able to do that in, in a couple of districts on Long Island, but also here within our own district. Some of our other elementary schools have uh, taken on similar, not identical, but, you know, their own version of students covering, you know, news program or news stories uh, within their building. It's been great. For WRHU and the Long Island Advocate, I'm Ronnie Gonzalez, and in the words of Abby Action News, Thanks for watching! See you later, Abby Gators! Wake up your mind! Start your day with Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Weekday mornings, 7 till 9 a.m. Lively talk about Long Island life, national news, and international issues from the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. Welcome back, everybody. Ronnie, how, how did we feel about doing that, Pat? Was there anything, like, in particular you really enjoyed about that one? Yeah, honestly, I got to say, getting the, getting the cuts from, uh, from their broadcast, that, that, that making that package just in, in, entirely, it was a blast. It, it was good to you know, get involved and see, see these kids doing, doing the thing, man. We, we were talking uh, during the, the package itself, and we're like, you know what? Why don't we just get all the kids to do a kids' news line version <laughs> in the studio? I'm telling you, we get, we get Maria Valdez over there, news director. If you're, if you're listening, Maria... You know, we can get those kids over there, maybe do a little bit of fun. I'll know? get in contact with them so quickly. I would love to see that happen. I think it would be very cute. I would enjoy it just from a, a purely visual aspect, you know, just seeing little kids. At least for, at least for us. Mm -hmm. you know, we'll be seeing must them listen see. content. Must <laughs> listen content. Oh, my gosh. That would be just the, the news of the day. Cream of the crop when that comes. So mm -hmm. hopefully you get some really good broadcasters coming down the line wherever they go, if that's the case. When it's like 20, 30, whatever, I guess, or 20, mm -hmm. 40. I, we got early action one decisions just came out the that other day. That is true. That is true. Dallas and I were talking. We're, we're going to have to go and. Help with those admitted students. Some more freshmen. Some more freshmen. Uh, yeah, 2027. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know how time just goes by, but it, it's getting This there. semester has flown by, if mm. we're going to be honest with oh, each yeah. other. Mm -hmm. It's been kind of crazy how fast we've been going. I feel like we just got here like two days ago, but now 
it's finals week and people are getting ready to go home. Yeah. And it's it's the end for the semester and then January. Oh, I should note, though, we are going to do shows in January. So mm-hmm. think that, you know, if you think we're just going to be off for the entire month, don't you worry. We're going to be starting back up when that comes. And then, of course, spring will happen as well. But, of course, we will be a bit disbanded uh, for our group at just least. Just a little bit. Just but, a little bit. of course, Dallas just got appointed assistant director for the morning wake-up yeah. call. Surprise! Along with Alexa Servo for our morning wake-up mm-hmm. leadership team. Dallas, do you have any words? Anything um, to I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm very grateful to the morning show in general. Uh, You know, I knew I wanted to join WRHU very early on in my Hofstra life and career. I thought I would focus more on sports, and then I met Danny DiCrescenzo, and he kind of was like, what about the morning show? And then I got very involved in the morning show. Alexa, Danny, and I were on a show together, um, the Thursday show, actually. So that was a big moment for me, and then i kind of just grown into it a lot, and I care a lot about this department and all the people in it, and I've made so many great friends. And so I'm hoping to carry the torch to a very bright future. The Thursday show definitely has that legacy, mm-hmm. and I know we will continue with it for everything that goes oh, yeah. on, which is going to be a lot of fun. So looking forward to that. We are going to continue with the best of now. Jason, I know you really enjoyed that San Gennaro package. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want to highlight before you play it on again? Well, you know, it's a shame it's an audio package because if you had the visuals of just seeing all the people, all the characters, all the different food and, and music, I'll tell you, but really the, the most profound sensory uh, part that's lost is the smell. I when I hear the sizzle, the cheese steaks, and the and the sausages on this package, you can smell it. And you know, this was back in September. It was really hot that day. I remember I was like sweating really bad. So it'll be nice to kind of get that little flashback of September, maybe warm up a little bit. But yeah, it was just so much fun and being able to interact with a lot of people. You know, I'm Italian, so it was just cool, like a like a cool cultural moment. You know. All right, we'll play it up for you. Here we go. When thinking of Manhattan, there are many places and images that come to mind. Central Park, Times Square, the Met, and so many more. One that comes to my mind almost immediately is Little Italy. The iconic spot found on Mulberry Street has been a pilgrimage for Italians and tourists alike for over 100 years. Perhaps what this area is known best for is the annual San Gennaro Festival. This year marks the 96th San Gennaro Festival which runs from September 15th to the 25th. I was lucky enough to attend on Saturday the 17th. The people, food, and atmosphere are truly one of a kind, and it's no wonder why this is considered one of New York City's best traditions. Without further ado, let's go to Mulberry Street and see what all the excitement is about. Welcome to Mulberry Street in Little Italy. I'm Jason Wyke here at the San Gennaro Festival. All over the streets, there's vendors, t-shirts, food, and music. So much is happening in just a couple blocks of space. Here with singer Jimmy Bono Ganey. Jimmy, what are you doing today at the San Gennaro Festival? Uh, just keeping up the old world traditions in, uh, in the area of music. Uh, in addition to the Italian food, that people all come down here and enjoy. The music is a big part of it also. So um, that's my part. <laughs> is there any go-to songs that you have to sing while you're here? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cello Luna Mezzamati is a uh, crowd favorite, and Osolo Mio, and of course, that's Amore, which is a funny song. It's an, I guess you could say, an Italian American song because it, it was written here in the United States, not in Italy, and yet it has outsold every Italian composition ever written, if you can imagine that. The festival also has an honorary Grand Marshal, and on Saturday it was Michael J. Massimino, an Italian-American from Long Island with Sicilian roots. Massimino spent over 60 hours in space as a NASA astronaut. In honor of his Italian heritage, he even brought Galileo's telescope on one of his voyages. For some, this festival is a part of their livelihood and brings in tons of business. Hundreds of streetgoers flock to their stands and shops every day of the festival. Here with Ernest Lapori. Ernest, can you tell me a little bit about your business? My family business, Ferrara Bakery, 195 Grand Street. We've been serving Neapolitan and Italian Southern desserts for more than 130 years. Is there any dish you would recommend that a patron for their first time gets when they come here? Our cannoli, which has been turned by Phil Rizzuto, holy cannoli, and we had trademarked it. Our sfogliatella, which is very Neapolitan, and our gelato. Gelato is low fat, low sugar, high protein. The festival's been going on for many years. What would you say it means to your business in particular? We love it. It's a great Italian street festival. So if you walk around the sea, you'll find fried calamari, fried pizza, rice balls, sauces and peppers, brujol, great Neapolitan street food, like it would be a marcato, and then you finish with great pastry. Here with Vincenzo Petuto. Vincenzo, can you tell me a little bit about your business? Our business is we sell uh, sausage, peppers, onions, cheese steaks, braccioli, chicken kebabs, and some other different ethnic foods, depending upon who comes. Uh, we used to sell gabuzel, which the sheep said, but there isn't that big of a demand for it. My father got off of the Ellis Island in 1919. Matter of fact, our trailer is called the Regina d'Italia in honor of the ship that brought my father here. And then my father met a fellow and uh, who directed him into getting into foodstuffs. And he did that, and our family's been in it, well, since at least 1938. And for your business, what does this festival mean with just the revenue that it brings in? Well, it helps us support and put our children, you see we have all our children and grandchildren working. We file all our taxes and stuff and it pays for their college. For some, they've only just recently started attending the festival. Here with Abe Gupta, is this your first time at the San Gennaro Festival? Yeah, it is. What do you think so far? I honestly love it. There's like so much, uh, so much going on. I feel like it's, when I first walked in, it was just like everything was like wow. So everything just popped out, you know. What brought you here today? Clint and we ended up going with this just because uh, 
big fan of gelato and pizza, so we're like, let's check this out. What's your favorite part of the festival so far? I would say the parade. Uh, I think the floats were really cool to see, and uh, the live music was great too. Here with Stacy Colby. Stacy, why are you at the San Gennaro Festival today? Oh, I came with my best friend. It's actually become a tradition, awesome place to be. And I get to experience all new Italian foods. Irish background. <laughs> How long have you been going to the festival for? Uh, actually, this is only the second year. And was last year your first year attending? Yes, it was. So what's your favorite part of the festival? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it may be the uh, Ferris wheel. <laughs> Big fan of the Ferris wheel. Any favorite food at the festival? We did do the rice ball stuff. Very much eyeing this uh, Italian sausage, especially with all that bread being cut. Love the garbage can look too, so we'll see. Joining me now is... Maria Vilela Coimbra Pinto. What brings you to the San Gennaro Festival today? Um, I'm here with my boyfriend and his loved ones and our friends. And I've been last year with my mom too. What's your favorite part of the festival? Well, I'm, I'm half Italian, um, I'm from Brazil, and what I like about it is that it brings back a few things that we have there too, um, and I also love each restaurant here. You can, go, you can go wrong with anything here. Others are seasoned veterans of the festival and know it very well. Here with Carrie Galdelli. Kaylee, how long have you been going to the San Gennaro Festival? Uh, I have been coming on and off since I was in utero, I think. So pretty much my entire life, yeah. What's your favorite part of the festival if you had to pick just one? Oh, it's really tough. I'm going to say Aperol Spritzes and the atmosphere. How many years have you been coming to the San Gennaro Festival? Uh, let's see, since the uh, early 80s, let's say about 1980. So that's what, uh, what he is now, so long time. <laughs> Here with Coco Loco the Clown. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the festival, if you had to pick just one? Happiness and um, just uh, joyous feelings, you know, of, of, of the innocence of, of the children and all, you know. What's your favorite part of the festival? Oh, the music, the food, the women, I mean, forget about it. <laughs> and which part of New York are you from? Brooklyn. <laughs> With all the people coming, what does it mean to see post-COVID now that it, there's a lot more of this community coming oh, together? Man, it's my God, it's so encouraging because two years ago, there was no San Gennaro, you know, COVID shut us down, but it's really, um, it, it just uh, inspires my spirit, you know, it boosts my spirit. It's great, it's great. While some have been coming for years and others have just started, it's clear that the festival means something to everyone in attendance. When we were kids, we would run around, we were four children. And so we're talking the 60s and 70s. So when we were kids, we would try to play the water games to come home with glasses. Then we realized four people playing were wasting three quarters. One person has to play, or two people can play. One person aims for the clown, and one person wets everybody. <laughs> and you win. <laughs> so it brings us back to childhood and the experience of people having fun. So I love that. For me, just to see people being people having fun in a crazy world is everything. What does the festival mean? The festival means uh, our celebration of the patriot saint of Naples, where I am from. He stopped the volcano Vesuvius from continuing into the Naples borderline. And it uh, was brought over by my parents and everybody as their patron. 
and they kept celebrating it. Uh, along with the fanfare and the merriment that goes on and the eating and the music and the dancing and the socializing and so forth, it's still basically uh, a religious festival. So uh, the mass, uh, uh, mass in honor of uh, St. Gennaro, who's the patron saint of the city of Naples, Italy, and this uh, feast was founded by those immigrants uh, 96 years ago. So that's important, and also the procession of the statue itself being paraded through these streets of Little Italy, which uh, continues on a great tradition that was started way back when. Honestly, like, it's my first time in the city. Like, I just moved here recently, so I don't think it means much to me right now, but I think going forward, I might make it an annual thing to come here every year. What does the festival mean to you? I'm going to show you. All about friendship. Um, it reminds me of my heritage, I think. Yeah, I think, no, it does, because it's, it's Little Italy, you know. I, I love having this, how New York is a place where you can have different countries within neighborhoods, and Little Italy shows that. Uh, it's a celebration of my heritage. My grandfather was off the boat from Naples, and um, been coming here ever since and it's a great celebration of everything Italian-American and it's a great way for me to reconnect to my culture and do it in the city that I call home. Well what does it mean to me? Um, just a lot of cannoli and um, Italian food, street food, it's pretty good um, and a lot of people on uh, festival, festival, yeah. It's all good and fun, yeah. That's what it means to me I guess. Well uh, it's, a, it's an Italian tradition because San Gennaro's was the saint that they Italian immigrants prayed to uh, when they came to America in 1880, you know, and uh, it, it just suited their souls and they relied on San Gennaro. San Gennaro is the patron saint of uh, Naples, and that's why every year they have this uh, celebration to honor San Gennaro. We're heading towards the end of our very action packed day, and this is just one of the 10 days of this festival. It's a time that means a lot to a lot of different people. But one thing's a certain, there will always be food, dancing, fun, and so much more at the San Gennaro Festival. For the Morning Wake Up Call, I'm Jason Weig. Hey, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call, only on 88.7 FM WRHU. Welcome back. As Rodney had said, we're not going anywhere. We're still here. Uh, so granted, I know that was pretty much a lot that we had towards our packages and interviews. Dallas, I know we had a lot of best ofs in yeah. the breaking news and what we've had to cover before. Basically, I just wanted to take a walk down memory lane because if you've been listening on a consistent, semi-consistent basis, you might have heard one of the times where we are scrambling to talk about the latest breaking news that somehow just befalls on us on Thursdays for some un unknown reason so i just want to walk through some of the highlights from news that we broke my personal one is the news of the queen i remember on one thursday show we talked about her being sick and just wishing her the best on good health and then suddenly the same day maybe the night later we find out that she had passed around, yeah around like four hours later mm -hmm. we find out the queen passes that was just a little bit of something that i remembered and i wanted to get you guys thoughts on other things that you know memorable for you 
I mean that that really set it off, mm-hmm. in my opinion. That set off the absolute roller coaster that was this this semester. And I mean, listen, breaking news just knows that Thursday is the day because mm-hmm. it did not stop at the Queen. We were, we we practically took a trip across the pond every single Thursday, and it was for <laughs> good reason. You start with the Queen, Liz Truss. Then oh, Liz yeah. Truss again. Mm-hmm. It was we went along a journey with Liz Truss because we started when we announced her winning uh, and taking over uh, control of Parliament, and then you know, couple weeks later, I think the yeah. timeline was very quick. Yeah. We learned that she resigned was on the Thursday. Seventy-eight show. days, right? I think it was. something like that. Yeah, something, th- something like that. It was like the shortest run in history for the British monarchy, I believe. I believe that's what we yeah, talked it about. It was. It was pretty. It was pretty. Uh, Pretty low. You know, Let's see. Shout out to Danny because there were some key moments where he would text. He's like, "Guys, I yes. think something's gonna happen," and mm-hmm. then something always did. Um, you know, we had, we had a couple sources with. Um, you know, we'll talk about BG a little bit later, but that yeah. was Yao Bonsu broke that to us over text. So we've we've had some really good people stepping up because it's just the news follows us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll crazy. be in like the midst of talking about our pre pre planned stories, pre planned stories, and then we'll get a text from Danny Yao, somebody who's just around being like, Oh my gosh, did you hear this literally happened two minutes ago? And the world then, is just Dallas's dish needs more dish. Dallas's dish needs more dish, apparently. I gotta <laughs> start getting more dishes and plates. But then then with the death, it's like we got Jerry Lee Lewis and you had yeah, the whole TMZ that was crazy. break that day and then lo and behold a couple days later he did actually he kicks pass the bucket. It was the next day. It was the, the the exact next day. We spoke about it. TMZ goes, Jerry Lee Lewis is dead and we find out that it's false. Mm-hmm. And then the next day at around what, six at night? Jerry Lee Lewis unfortunately does pass away. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we, yeah, we, it, seem, it's, uh, we go on a run when it comes with uh, celebrities and people in the limelight and just having the unfortunate ability to say, well, actually, this is, we hope this person's okay. And then one thing leads to another and the natural progression of life goes on. And then we have to break the news again. And not not only that, I know Ronnie mentioned the whole Nintendo thing because yeah. I I brought the I put the story up about Nintendo and the whole Call of Duty ten year thing. And then the same day, we get the breaking news alert from the AP saying that Microsoft gets uh, the FTC goes and sues Microsoft yeah, for the they antitrust. They shoot it down for the antitrust, and then we hear that they're gonna go try and try to do it again with Blizzard. So let's see, getting sued again by the <laughs> F- FTC. They can't seem to uh. It can't seem to, to get away from that, unfortunately. But, you know, cycling back to British politics, I do remember when we broke the story about Rishi Sunak taking over. We kind of charted the journey along of transitioning from the death of the Queen, Prince Charles taking over, Liz Truss coming to power, Liz Truss resigning, and that being kind of a tumultuous time for politics globally. And then Rishi Sunak, we haven't really been you know, keeping tabs on him, but it seems to be that he's been making some public appearances as of late and doing the best that he can with the situation he's inherited. Yeah, I think it's good that the Thursday show has not heard much of Rishi Sunak because if we're talking about it, it usually means that something groundbreaking has happened and mm-hmm. it's been pretty quiet on that end, at least, you know, negatively. So it's good to see. Not not anything that's really, I guess, reaching more of a global scale. I know, I know there was... There is, a, I guess, news more so on the immigration bout over in the U.K. for uh, PM Sunak, but I think we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, when that time comes. Mm-hmm. And then another show, if that does come to fruition, will inherit the across-the-pond <laughs> uh, instance for there. So we'll see. But I know for our final spot that we have, we're going back to Jason 
because we really have to go and decide this age-old question. What is the best Christmas holiday song? What that is? So, Jason, what, what do we have? Oh, well, folks, let me tell you. To end, we have some very special vocal appearances on this package. And I, I don't want to hype it up anymore because I just am so excited to hear it and hear everyone's reaction. So I'd say let's just jump right in. As we get to the end of our show, I wanted to settle an age-old debate. What is the best Christmas song? Now, before we get into the discussion, the other night I was able to grab a couple of recordings from the WRHU winter party. At this party, there was some Christmas karaoke. So perhaps maybe getting a refresher from some of our very own at WRHU can help us in making our decision. Now, recorded, you'll hear not only myself, but our very own Luke Farrell alongside Kayla McKechnie and Rachel Lucier and Lindsay Hill. I'll let them take it away. Now that we've had some refreshers, let's get to it. Welcome back. So we're at the final couple minutes here of Morning Wake Up Call on 88.7 FM WRHU. We got our whole crew here, Ronnie, Dallas, Luke, and myself. So, you know, we, we heard some renditions there. Let me tell you, Luke's energy was just so Oh, infectious. don't even get me started. <laughs> I, I gave Ronnie the look. I was like, package. I was like, this is a package. <laughs> We're going to air this. Well, I would do orientation all the time. You have to do karaoke pretty much every week. And so it would just be either myself and my group or whoever else goes up there. And you got to bring the energy because then nobody else can do it. Now, all I want for Christmas to do, though, is not my favorite song. Oh. It, you know, it, it, I did it because Kayla was, I just asked Kayla, you know, you want to do a song? She's like, oh, it's all I want for Christmas. Okay. I, I was like uh, Nat King Cole's Christmas album, but like the Christmas song Christmas album. Mm -hmm. That one's really good. Uh, I was already mentioning before the show, Donny Hathaway's it's Christmas I've listened to a lot. But to me, I feel like Last Christmas is always just my favorite. Because to me, oh, like, that one you can just pick. listen to any time, though, because you don't really have a lot of references to the holiday. Mm -hmm. It's more mm -hmm. so the, I guess, the relationship in the song. You don't really mm -hmm. hear anything else. I mean, music video, different story. But just general song-wise, not, not really. I do agree. Last Christmas might be my favorite Christmas song. However, I think the king of Christmas music has to go to Mr. Michael Buble. Oh, yeah. Michael He's Buble away with eats it. it up every single time. Absolutely. I think, for me, I like to have a little bit more of like a, a chill vibe, especially, you know, maybe driving through the neighborhood looking at all the Christmas lights. Uh, Silver Bells is, is a pretty good one for me. But I wanted I wanted to I wanted to touch on Luke real quick. I mean, listen, this is not the first time he brought the energy with with singing. If you remember, yeah. if you remember him, you know, at the at the at the Pride Court showcase, he dro <laughs> he dropped a little he dropped a little original rap on us, and yeah. it was listen, he 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 had it going on, like I, you know, <laughs> just having having fun, you know, nothing nothing much else. Mm -hmm. I think in more terms of recent Christmas songs, Ariana Grande. Santa Tell Me, Santa is, tell me yeah. is a very good song, and I well, am not ashamed to admit it. I think it's up there as well for me. I actually, so speaking of Ariana Grande, Santa Can You Hear Me with her and Kelly Clarkson, mm. that's phenomenal. But if I had to pick a favorite, we heard it in that little six-second clip there, I Gotta Go Bruce Springsteen, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. You know, it, it's such a divisive song. I feel like you either love it or hate it. Me being a Bruce guy, it, it, it's the highlight of my holiday season every year. Also, wait, didn't you perform that at LIU? Uh, I th he might have actually. I I'll look into that. But I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, might have might have been. You know, I, he played a lot of New York venues when he was coming up, so it would make sense. Mm -hmm. Brookville uh, LIU Post Campus over there, so <laughs> that'll be nice to see. But I know we're at the end of the show, end of the semester. I know we have spring. We're mm -hmm. going to be on. I mean, 
Jason and I, we're going to still be together. Don't you worry. We're kicking over break. Dallas and Ronnie, we have, I know, what what show are we on? I am going to be on the Tuesday show, if my memory is serving me correctly. And this um, is for in January. January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and then I'll be I'll be right after on the Wednesday show. Oh, look, and now, uh, back Tuesday, to back to back. Wednesday, Thursday, can't go wrong. Sorry, studded lineups. You don't have an excuse to not listen to all those shows now. Mm-hmm. So you definitely can do that. Granted, I know we have a lot of stuff going on for the next semester. What's what's the key point? What do we have? Um, really focusing on break right now for me, but I know for break, I'm going to be spending the holiday season with my family. Very exciting. We usually have like a big family party on Christmas Eve, and then I'll be celebrating my birthday on December 30th. I'll be turning 20. Yeah. Which Happy early birthday. Is scary. You know, mm. the two decades of life is a lot of life. A whole two. Count them. A whole two. Two. I've, uh, for me, probably pretty much the same thing. You know, just spending spending the holidays with the family. I know New Year's, my my house is always the uh, always the place to be, at least for New Year's. So, gonna enjoy the enjoy the Christmas season and then uh, ring in the New Year with the uh, with some family and friends. You know, other than that, really just focusing on break. Spring semester, spring semester can wait. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Jason, anything? Well, so I I have two things. One over break. You know, just trying to catch up on some sleep for sure, and you know, just take some time to cool down. But for next semester, I'm excited to announce officially I will be the producer for the locker room here on 88.7 FM. Yay, Jason! Sundays, 8 to 9, tune in because obviously you know that how good of a job we do with every week here and mm-hmm. the training I've received from so many great people. So it's a great program. Again, you want to keep up with Hofstra Sports, there is no better way to stay up to date mm-hmm. with every team and go inside the locker room. So, you know, I'll be I'll be there engineering a few times, and uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to announce that I have uh, officially been named the uh, the new sports tech director. Oh, my gosh. Oh so many big oh. announcements. Thursday crew is so, really, really. Know, we're really doing it all. Really we're doing good. it all. Uh, I guess only other announcement for me, I got into graduate school. A couple Let's go. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. Luke. So, uh, again, no, I'm not making any final decisions yet. Don't worry, but I got one. So that's, that's good. I got a couple more waiting on, and then mm-hmm. maybe maybe an announcement at some point on my LinkedIn if you go and uh, <laughs> find that around. Uh, granted, I know it's been a very long semester, but I'm happy that we all get to go back to our families for the holidays and that you've been we've invited you into our own morning wake-up call family uh, when the time has been as well. So that's been fun. I know I'm looking forward to next semester at the Obama presidency conference they're having. Uh, there's a special topic class that I just got in, and so that's going to be a lot of fun. That's exciting. April 19th, 20th, 21st here at Hofstra. No, no confirmation that he's coming yet. We don't know, mm. but... He, we, the indication that is that he has not said no. Oh, mm. so but he has not said yes. So we're not, so we'll here, we're not here to know. We're not here to yes. Yeah, up in the air. But nevertheless, I hope you say yes to us when we come back around in January. Uh, please note we will be off uh, over for the winter break or the winter uh, spot that we have just until around that first week of January. So we will see you all then. Please safe travels home. Have a great holiday season, and we'll see you all around. Well, Danny was like, that was it. That was the show. (laughs) 